0: Hope you all are doing well. Um, We are in our second week of a sermon series called Remedy Church. uh, Member, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I've just got a... a, Well, I don't even want to say. I've got some introduction. Who knows how it'll go. Last time I thought it was going to go shorter and it didn't. So, um, we are doing also, as we're doing this this, uh, sermon series, we're reading this book... So if you don't have one, uh, they should be at least on the first five-ish rows, um, but anybody can have it. We gave out these last week to every single person, um, and we've got plenty left over. So if you don't have one of these books, uh, reach underneath you and pick one up off the ground and keep it. It's yours. I see some. I see like four on the first row here, but they're everywhere. Maybe you want to wait till the end of the service if you don't want to walk right now, but it's okay right now. No one will be distracted if everybody walks right now and picks one up so you don't forget it, but you can pick this up. Um, each chapter is really short. I literally can read an entire chapter, which consists of about eight and a half pages, in about eight and a half minutes. So it's very, very simple. And all we're asking for you to do is take one of these and then uh, each week read one chapter. So eight minutes per week we're asking for you to read, which is pretty attainable, I think, for all of us. Um, and preferably you would read it the day of or the night before your community group. Um, there's six chapters in here and there's six sermons that we're doing on this. And so each chapter kind of has a theme, like what last week was functioning church member. And so last week we talked about what it means to be an actual f- functioning church member. Um, God has said that the body of Christ is a, uh, the, the, the church itself is a body. And so every person that's a body has been labeled some kind of body part, if you will, as it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, an eye or an ear or a finger or a toe. And basically it says like if I chopped my arm off and all of a sudden I had to walk around with just one arm, well, I wouldn't be functioning as a full body, right? It would be a whole lot different experience. And so since you are an eye or an ear or a foot or an arm or or whatever, um, the body's not going to function as fully as we possibly can if you're not functioning as the gifts that God's given you. Gifts of administration, gifts of teaching, gifts of whatever it is. There's hosts of, of lists in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. And every single one of you has a gift. And you may say, my gifts aren't very big. They're not important. It's no big deal if I'm not there. The only problem is the Bible says it is important if you're there, no matter what your gifts are. And so you can't just decide that you're not important because the Bible has said it doesn't matter what gift you are, whether you think it's big or small, that you have to actually be a functioning church member. You have to be an active participant in that. And so that, that was what we talked about last week. And each week talks about a kind of a different aspect of church membership. And you may think to yourself, um, why would you talk about church membership in a sermon? And why would you do it for six weeks? <laughs> that's, like, that's like a long time to just keep talking about that. Um, because um, church membership is vital. It's absolutely vital. And even if you are already actively a vital member of our, of our church and, and actively using your gifts, we need for everyone in the body to become more healthy. So that's why we would do It's because healthy church membership is essential for us to carry out the mission, to reach the city, to reach the lost. And so that's why we would talk about it um, for this particular long of a time. So um, <clears throat> today we're going to be talking about a unifying church member. So just a little bit I want to talk about actually from last week. Uh, as, a, as a little bit of a, of a review, if you will. And then we'll, we'll, we'll jump into this week uh, and jump into Ephesians 4. Um, I said this last week, but if you weren't here, I want to make sure you, you know. Um, as we're talking about church membership, I'm a church member, roommate church member. I want you all to realize that I'm starting with a huge presupposition. The presupposition that I'm starting with is that we already, you and I both already agree that church membership is a biblical concept, if you don't think that it is, that's, a, that's an offline discussion I'd be happy to have. But you should know for the purposes of these six weeks, Jack and I, as we're preaching, and even Matt actually is going to be preaching one week, um, you need to realize that we are starting with that, um, that presupposition, that church membership is biblical. And so since we think it's biblical, the aim of or the, the major content of these six sermons are what are the implications then of church membership? Since we already think it's biblical, and hopefully you agree with that, um, especially those of you that are actually members here, hopefully you really agree with that. Um, but what we want you to realize are what are the implications then of, of that. And last, w- last week we talked about um, that one of the implications is that you're supposed to be a functioning church member. That since you are a member, you, you, you realize that you, God has already assigned you the, uh, the job of eye, ear, toe, nose, whatever, right? And so you have that task. And in order for us to function properly, you have to be here. You have to actively participate. There's no take a break for a while, just go do my thing. There's no, I've got gifts, but they don't need them. They've got other people that are probably better than me. There's none of that. We're here. We're, 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 we're being a part of the body. We're plugged in. We're actively using our gifts to bless and grow the body. Now, one of the challenges, Jack and I were talking about this, of preaching six weeks on church membership is not saying the same thing every single week. So, um, last week we, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 and talked about the idea of a functioning church membership. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to be a unifying church member and what are we unified around. <clears throat> so, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, and just one other introductory matter and then we'll, we'll jump in, which is, uh, I talked about this a little bit last week, but I want us to understand just a few things specific to Remedy, for sure and this is probably no different in most churches, but it is specific in Remedy about what it means if you're going to say, yes, I'm a church member. What does it mean if you're going to say, yes, you're a church member? What does it mean as a pastor if you're going to be a church member for me? I, I said these at the very beginning, but I'm going to say them much quicker this week. I said them at the beginning last week. If you're going to be a member at Remedy, we want our members to be men and women that see the Scripture as their final authority in all things. In other words, if this says something we don't get to passively kind of decide whether we're going to obey it or not. But instead, if this says something, because it is the arbiter and the final authority in all things, we're going to, by the power of the Spirit, do everything we can to obey it. Um, So we have men and women that see the Scripture as the authority in all things. But we also, um, as members here, want to have men and women that are pursuing Christ as their highest treasure. We want to have men and women that are actively involved in the ordinances of the church, baptism and Lord's Supper, That you've been baptized after faith. And that as we do baptisms, if you're leading people to Christ, you're baptizing them with me. At Remedy Church, if you lead someone to Christ, you get in the water with me and we baptize them together. I think that serves as a tremendous catalyst or impetus for you who haven't done that yet to say, Man, I want to do that. Like, I want to get in there too. Um, But also that you would participate in the Lord's Supper. If you're a, a member or a Christian here at Remedy, that as we participate in the Lord's Supper, that you'll be involved in that. Uh, but we also have members that love one another, that practice community. They keep the gospel the main thing. They take holiness seriously as the Lord, through the power of the Spirit, shows them things in their lives that don't coincide with the, with, with the scriptures. that They would say, these things are intolerable in my life. Therefore, by the power of the Spirit, I want to put this sin to death. Colossians 3.5, Romans 8.13. No longer do I want it in my life. But instead, I'm going to do everything I can to kill this in my life but we also want to have men and women that are engaged with each other in regard to these matters, but also they can be the kind of men, men and women that can be engaged. With the, they don't just want to do all the engaging. Here's your problem. This is what I see. I, I'm going to do this for you. You need prayer. I'm there for you. But also the kind of men, men and women that can be engaged, that when people come to them, they're willing to listen and say, yes, please help me. Thank you for that. And lastly, and this is probably the most important, we want to have men and women that when all those things I just listed um, happen in your life and you fail at all of them, which I do. We all are going to. When we fail at all of them, we're quick to repent and quick to place all of our faith in the gospel, all of our faith in Christ and say, even though I fail at all those, Jesus, I know I'm going to. You're my only hope. That's what it means to be a member at Remedy Church. But, uh, um, and so conversely, for pastors then, for Jack and I and whoever else would become an elder here at, at Remedy, um, some of the implications for us of how we're supposed to serve the people that are members here. It's first that we would lead in such a way that you would desire to follow us. We know the Bible commands you to follow us. And so if you really, really, really want to just follow the rules and and precepts and instructions of the Bible, you'll just say, well, the Bible commands me to follow, so I'm going to follow. So whatever you do, I guess I have to. That's not really what we want, right? We want people that want to follow us, that desire as they see us Follow Christ that they would follow us as well. You don't follow just because you're commanded, but that you deeply desire. We want to be the kind of elders that you want to follow. And so we, we as elders need to follow Christ as deeply and as, fo- as closely as we can. But also we want to be the kind of pastors that really care for you. Whenever you're hit, hitting a time of tragedy, you're in a time of despair, um, we want to be the kind of pastors that are there for you and that you can count on us shepherding you through those hard times. Um, next, we want to be the kind of pastors... W- We would never, we pray to the Lord that this never happens and Lord willing, uh, praise God it never has and Lord willing it never will. But an implication for us as pastors that for members that are in continual willful, willful is the key word there, continual willful sin and they will not want to be reconciled to Christ and they do not want to repent of those sins that we as pastors have to, because of the scriptures, practice church discipline on people that would do that. Lord willing, we'll never have to do that. I certainly don't want to. Um, ever have to do that. And lastly, uh, an, imp- an implication as a pastor is that we would preach, I would, Jack and I would preach the word, that in season and out of season, we would preach the word as faithfully as we can. Usually, this is a little bit of an anomaly, but usually we just pick a book of the Bible and just preach all the way through it. And when that's over, we, we pray about where, where the church is the most messed up, and then where's the book that kind of addresses that the best, and pick that, bo- that book, and then preach through it. And then where's the church most messed up, and then we Pray through it, and then we pick the next book, and we preach through that. And we just trust the, the, the Lord to do his work through his word. And as best as we can, we try to alternate between Old and New Testament so that you don't think the Old, you know, the old Testament's just boring and the New Testament's got all the good stuff. Because um, as we saw in Genesis, the gospel is all in the first 12 chapters of Genesis. It's everywhere. And so um, that's what we want to do as pastors, and those are the implications for us. If you would say, yes, I want to be a member... Those are just at least four, but there's plenty more uh, implications for us as pastors. And so that's kind of the introduction of things that I wanted to talk about um, before we jump in. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll look at Ephesians chapter 4 today. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I pray for you to come now and be with us. Lord, Ah, I, I pray that you would help me recognize this reality, which is... I should be desperate for your presence. We all should be. That there's no way that I can stand up here and preach in such a way that's going to have any power unless the Holy Spirit's here. That really, anything and everything I say is absolutely dependent upon you. And so, because of that, God, move me out of the way and, and use me by your Spirit. I pray for everyone here that um, they would open their minds and hearts and be receptive to the leading of the Spirit and whatever you have to say. Remove any distractions. We all have such crazy, busy lives throughout the week and the coming week. And because of that, God, it's easy to not focus. But I pray that you would give us all a brief time where we can just focus in on what God Himself wants to say to us in His Word this morning. I pray, God, that you would be with us now and that we would truly hear from you and after we hear from you, God, it wouldn't just be an information exchange, but a heart change as well, and that we would want to change the patterns of our life that don't coincide with your, with your scriptures. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, the big elephant in the room is, yes, it's steaming hot in this room. Um, I don't know what it is. I, we don't, like, try to turn up the heat and make you say, this. Is what it feels like in hell. So get your friends saved. Like, we don't do that. Um, like, this, this is just, it's crazy hot in here. I don't know why it's like this. Um, but I wish that we could all, like, have air conditioning right now. Um, so anyway, back to this. So last week we talked about functioning. We talked about being a functioning church member. Today we're going to be talking about a unifying church member. And so um, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4. But I thought it would be really helpful for us to kind of understand a little bit about Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, The the entire book of Ephesians. But look at some of the things that are being said in the book of Ephesians before we get into 4. So if you look with me over at Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 10. I know we're picking up in the middle of a sentence, but it's pretty simple to understand. Paul is talking about the church in chapter 3, verse 10. And he's saying there's something descriptive of the church that God has ordained the church from eternity past. That the church is supposed to do And as this church does this, something's being displayed to everyone. And you can see it right here in verse 10. So that, um, it's the plan of the mystery of hidden for ages, that God who created all things, verse 10, so that through the church, that's you. Imagine this, Christian. Every single one of you in the church, look what you think it's true or not. Look at what's being said of you. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. But basically, what we're he- seeing here is that the manifold wisdom of God is being put on display. The manifold wisdom of God is being put on display. So, w- what does all this mean then? What does it mean when we talk about the church? What does it mean when we talk about the manifold wisdom of God? We're going to see that the church is, as you know, it's pretty straightforward, the body, right? That's what we're talking about. That it, it's... it's true for Remedy Church, our membership, that through Remedy Church, the manifold wisdom of God is going to be put on display. Mark Dever, as he's talking about this, says um, the, the manifold wisdom of God is, he says, only an all-wise God could ever devise this kind of plan or a way to reconcile his love and his justice. So those things to be, seem, seem to be at what we would think polar opposites, love and justice. You get my justice, and you feel like, well, that's not loving. You get all my love and no justice, and you Those seem to be polar opposites. And he says only an all-wise God could devise a way in which his love and his justice, that's us, because we get his love, Christ got the justice for us, and now Because of that, that counts as our justice that we should have gotten and all of His perfection and righteousness and God's love is put on. And now, therefore, love and justice are reconciled because of the cross. Only in all wise, God could devise a way to reconcile His love and His justice while saving people who are estranged. And I would say rebels, rebels at heart, estranged from Him and one another, only an all-wise God could devise a way, oh, this is beautiful, to turn the hearts of stone. That's you before Christ, or perhaps you right now if you're not in Christ. Turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh that actually loves to praise him. Only an all-wise God could decide to put, put this plan into action. And then he says, may the cosmic powers and all the universe look on and marvel at this. So the manifold wisdom of God is that he is going to choose to save wicked, rebellious sinners and not give them justice, but instead put all of his justice on Christ, thereby all of Christ's perfection is being put on you, on us, and now all we receive now is the love of Christ. This is the manifold wisdom of God. This is the good news. This is the story of good news, otherwise known as the gospel. And so as you walk around, this is what's just interesting. As you walk around every day, you are putting on display this manifold wisdom of God because you're part of the church every day. The outside world and the church itself looks on and you are putting on display this manifold amazing wisdom of God, which is most known in the gospel And so today, we're going to look at this and say, since that's what's true of the church, and we're supposed to be a unified church, unified, what I would say, around this this idea of the manifold wisdom of God, we're going to look at what some of those things look like. Now, um, the old church used to talk about unity in this particular way. The early church, the old church, the early church. um, They would say, in the essentials, in the absolute essentials, there was unity. In the non-essentials, there's diversity. And in all things... There's charity. Another way to say that's love. So in the essentials, the gospel itself, there's unity. In the non-essentials, things that we would disagree on, but it's okay because it's not gospel items. Like if women or men can be deacons, you may have a strong opinion. I have a strong opinion. But that's a non-essential. How you think the end times are going to happen, like the way you think that's supposed to happen. There's lots of non-essentials. So he says, in essentials unity, or the early church, and non-essentials diversity... But in all things, charity, the way we treat each other in regard to those matters is charity or love. And that's what we're talking about when we mean unity. This means that the closer we get then to the heart of the faith, the Christian faith, we would see more and we would expect more unity in our understanding of the faith. The closer we get to our, to, you know, we have these kind of outliers, what we believe about end times, etc. But the closer we get to the heart of our faith, which is the gospel itself, that's where there's going to be unity agreement but as we get out on the outside that's where we'll see less agreement so one of the dangers in talking about unity i think is that we you might accidentally misunderstand me you might accidentally not understand exactly what i'm saying when i say unity so i want to make sure from the from the get-go that you understand what i mean by unity unity does not mean that you can't have opinions as jack and i Uh, or any other elders that would come say, we want unity in the church, it does not mean that you can't have opinions about the way we do things. It doesn't mean that you can't have strong opinions about the way we do things. Um, It does not mean that you can't disagree with the way that things happen in the church. It doesn't mean that you can't disagree theologically with things that we say, except for the gospel. That's pretty non-negotiable. It doesn't mean that you can't voice those disagreements. And it also doesn't mean that you can't have different theology, like I said, on open-handed issues. So unity does not necessarily mean that. Unity does mean this, that when those things happen, and they're going to, and they have, that you will voice them biblically to us. You'll recognize that there's a way to say these things, and you'll voice them biblically to us, but also that your concerns that you bring forward are biblical concerns. It's not like, um, you know... There should never, ever be an acoustic guitar in a worship band. Yeah, you know, that's not a biblical concern. That's really not, you know. Um, Or you should never, ever rent a building. Like, there's just so much gray area in that in the Bible. There's no way that we can say that. So those kinds of things are, are, so we're saying bring not preference-oriented things. I can't believe we're going to have this color carpet, you know, like, I don't really have control of that anyway. But I've seen churches and heard of churches that split over colors of carpet when they're building a new building, right? So those kinds of things, those preference-oriented things, are, those are the things that we say, you know what? For the sake of unity, whatever. Um, but the things that you, that, that you do have strong opinions on that you may disagree, unity does not mean you can't bring them forward. That you bring them forward biblically and that your concerns must be biblical. And that we're not going to change our mind on, on the essential of the gospel. So... Um, I'm always open to real discussions about those things. And, of course, I have strong opinions on things. And, of course, I think I'm right. But <laughs> um, that, why would I not have an opinion on it if I didn't think it was right? I would just not have an opinion. Um, but uh, you have to have the, the right balance of saying what's important and what's not. I don't feel like you have to agree with me on, on every theological point. So, um, and I say this in the new members class. So, therefore, for me and, and for Jack, unity means that we want to make the gospel the most important thing and its proclamation to ourselves and to this world, the main thing. And if anything would bring us off that, if all of a sudden we all get really upset about Bible translations, you know, if everybody's like KJV only, then like we're taking our mind off, off the gospel and we're arguing over a pretty trivial matter because truly it wasn't written in English anyway. It was written in Greek So none of us can read Greek and English. And so we're Every Bible translation is basically, you know, a commentary anyway. So because of that, um, we want to keep our minds and our hearts focused on the same thing. So divisiveness takes us off the gospel and makes other things primary matters when the gospel should be the primary matter. But it doesn't mean that we can't have those discussions. There's just ways to have those discussions. Wisdom in having those discussions. So that's what we mean by when we say unity. So as we look at Ephesians 4, this is just a side note. But um, the book of Ephesians, as, as it's written, the way it's kind of um, outlined is really in two big parts. The first three chapters, Paul writes a lot of doctrine. Um, the first three chapters are really just him spelling out lots and lots and lots of theology. And then as you leave verse, chapter 3, I'm sorry, and go into chapter 4... Paul is then going into more application matters. And so we're going into chapter 4. We're leaving that doctrine section and going into application matters. Application for the church. You can see applications for wives and, there's all, and husbands. There's all kinds of application matters in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Um, but that's what we're going into. So Paul's just wrapped up a lot of doctrine. Then he prays for them. The prayer for the Ephesians in 4 through 20. One is it 21? Yes, 21. And then as he goes into chapter 4, he's starting the application section. And that's when we're going to look at what I think is, um, in, in, in the Bible, one of the best sections, certainly there could be more, on what unity in the church could look like. Now... In, in the ESV, at least, it has this little title, Unity in the Body of Christ. Now, the Holy Spirit didn't inspire Mr. ESV to write that. That's just part of the, Mr. ESV. He wanted to put that. You have another section that could say something similar to that. I didn't look up every translation. But this unity in the body of Christ, I think, is still a pretty good idea of what's going on in verses 1 through 16. He's talking about unity, but just know that title's not inspired. Um, so I'm going to read it, and then we're going to look at... Uh, verses 1 through 16 and kind of section by section and you'll see what, what are some of the things about being a unifying church member. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, ...who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us... ...according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high... ...he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying that he ascended, what does it mean that... ...what does it mean but that he had also descended... ...into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended... ...far above the heavens that he might fill, fill all things... And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain, um, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried around by every pieces of language there that talk about unity. Uh, Ephesians four three especially the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. You can see that we're talking about unity of the faith in Ephesians four thirteen. You can see there's a lot of ones there in in four through six, one hope, one faith, one Lord. You know so there's lots of ideas of using unity language as we're talking about one. So I I agree with Mr. E S. V that the idea of this particular section is about unity. And so as we're talking about unity, then He spells out some things he talks about what are some what are some things that we should see present in a unified body what are some things that we would see present and so um, the first thing i want you to see is in verse one he says i therefore a prisoner of the lord urge you now notice this language here to walk that that word walk can also be translated live sometimes to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called this calling is your salvific call Not your calling as in, you know, like I have a calling to be a pastor. That was after my salvific call. This is a calling into being into Christ. And so what's noticeable is there's a, after I've been called to Christ, that means after you've become a Christian, there's supposed to be a way in which I'm supposed to live my life. I urge you then to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What's the calling? Life in Christ, righteous, pure, holy, uh, all these words that we would talk about, what Jesus says of me now. So I'm supposed to walk now in a manner or live in a manner worthy of that calling. So that means no one can just come to Christ and say, thanks for salvation. Now I can do whatever I want. Instead, because Christ has saved us, we have to now submit ourselves to his lordship. He's the Lord. He calls the shots. And he actually has complete right to tell me how he wants to live my li- how He wants me to live my life. He gets to call the shots on what the manner of my life, the walking of my life looks like. So in big Christianese, you know, big theological language, we just call this word sanctification. And that just means after you come to Christ, the way that you live your life is supposed to be Christward, like Jesus, more like Jesus. That's called the process of sanctification. That's the idea of becoming more and more like Jesus, more set apart. Now, we would all agree, I hope, that, that's, the, that's the case. Every Christian is supposed to be sanctified more and more every day. More like Christ every day. The things that we see that aren't like Jesus, we put those things to death. We're never satisfied. We never are happy with those things. And we want to kill those things and become more like Christ. Now, here's the part where we talk talking about unity and church membership. Verse 1 says that. But, in the entire context, I think that we can understand sanctification along with verse 15 and 16. Verse 15 and 16 sets sanctification in a corporate aspect. Rather, speaking the truth in love, that means we're actually talking to one another. We are to grow up. This is the same idea of becoming like Christ. Grow up in every way into him who's the head. We're supposed to become more and more like him. That's the same idea as verse 1. And so it's talking about a corporate aspect of sanctification from whom the whole body is joined and held together, every joint with which is equipped. Notice this. When every part is working properly, when you are, as a believer, pursuing sanctification as you're supposed to, when every person is doing that, what's the end result? Then it says, that makes the body grow. So we don't want to have like this major, huge arm and a puny leg. Every person here is supposed to be growing up into Christ's likeness. And when that happens, the entire body grows. So simply put... As you pursue sanctification, which is the way you're supposed to, the entire church will pursue sanctification at a much better level if you are too. And that is what makes the body grow. Others' sanctification is also in here. So this is what I mean by unified then. So the the first thing is a unifying church member then will um, understand that sanctification is accomplished most effectively in community. Most effectively in I'm choosing my language well there because if you've never been in a church membership and you don't want to, and you feel like you're pretty sanctified, you feel like you're pretty Christ-like, you can say, look at me, Fudd, you know, look at me. Look, I'm, I'm growing all in Christ. I'm, I got the whole Bible memorized. I kill all my sin, etc., etc." And perhaps you do. Perhaps you are very sanctified. But you're not smarter than Jesus, <laughs> right? And so he has told us that the way sanctification happens most effectively is in the corporate aspect. Yes, we can, by simple willpower and sheer determination and the power of the Spirit in our individual lives, see sin be killed in our lives. However, you're going to grow most effectively. You're going to be most sanctified in the community aspect. We do this in our church. That's the whole point of community groups, is to have people that we get inside those community groups that we can get even closer to, that we can really do life with and have them see things that we would never see. Like, you are just going to grow Better, You're going to um, live in such a way if you really have other people looking after you. If you don't, then you're just, I think, going to be stunted in your growth. You you will grow. I I can give you that. I, I don't disagree with you. But you'll grow most effectively. You'll become most sanctified in the context of community. And that seems to be pervasively true throughout the Bible, that truth. So the first thing about a unifying church member... Is that we would see sanctification as important. As John Owen says. You must always be at it while you live. Don't ever take one day off from this work. Always be killing sin. Or it will be killing you. So we we believe sanctification is absolutely essential. But we also know that the Bible has taught us in the context of community. Is where we're going to see this. As it says in verse 16. When each part is working properly. Makes the body grow. So that it builds itself up. So we want to all be Actively pursuing sanctification in the context of community. Alright, so the next one is this, in verse 2. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. So we want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, and how do we want to do that in the context of community? We want to do it with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. All those words right there are descriptive of really kind of the foundation of how that's going to happen, which it says is love. So the way that we're going to Um, be humble and gentle and patient and forgive one another is because of love. So the second thing is a unifying church member will show love consistently. I'm, I'm intentionally choosing the word show and not feel. Show love consistently. John 13, 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, how can you show love consistently? Not just feel love. It's great that you feel love for people in the church, but, but if they don't know, they're certainly not the, the most encouraged by it. I mean, you can, you can feel it towards them and say, I just feel, I feel love for you. I couldn't even, I couldn't even describe it. And you're like, well, thank you. It makes me feel good. But showing love is a whole different level. It's a whole different level. What if you decided to literally... One, two, three times a week show tangible expressions of love to people in the church. You write out a snail mail letter to someone. That's awesome. It's super encouraging. That, if you write a snail mail letter, they know, you, they know that you love them. Because no one does that. It's text you. You're awesome and praise God for you. And it took me three seconds. But a snail mail letter, like that's just like, I know you care. Or you made a meal for them. Or you went over to them and spent some time with them, and, and I think this goes without saying, but I want to press even a little bit further. Um, there are people that it's easy to show love to. They're awesome. You hang around them; they're fun. They're the they're the half half full kind of people. They're so awesome. Every time I hang around you, you're great. You love the Gamecocks. Like you're, it's easy to love you. Like it's so easy. I'm just kidding. But like, there are also people that are tough to hang around. Every time you're around them, everything's wrong. They point that out. Glass glass half full kind of person, pessimist. Hey, isn't this thing awesome? Do you see this baby? I mean, isn't a baby just a, You can pick a baby, like the most beautiful creation that God's given us. You know, look at this baby. Isn't he wonderful? Well, he poops his pants all the time. You know, like, ah, oh, ha, ha. You always say negative things. You know, like, like, come on. Those people are hard, right? Those people are hard to love. What would it be like for you if you... You said, I'm going to take up the task of showing love consistently to everyone. Not just the easy people, but even the more difficult ones. Maybe you're like me and you're one of those more difficult ones and you need it. They need it. And I'm just challenging. I mean, imagine what Remedy Church would look like if we actively showed love more consistently in our congregation. Imagine what your community group would look like if you didn't just feel it, but you showed it more consistently. I mean, just you could just boil that down to your marriage, right? Imagine if your spouse felt to you, or not shouldn't say feel. Imagine if your spouse was given many opportunities where you were able to show them how you love them, you serve them, and all the ways you hate. And they see it, you know, the dishwasher and vacuuming and laundry, or whatever else. You know, maybe they like presents Those kinds of things. Time. That's the hardest one. Time. Time. Um, So what if you showed love consistently? What would it look like in your community group and in this church? Just think about that. I mean, it would be amazing. Talking about firing on all cylinders. If our church just showed that we love each other consistently, and then because of Ephesians 3.10... We're a church that's displaying the manifold wisdom of God. And the outside world is looking on at this particular set of people that are actively showing love consistently to one another. And they look at that and they say, that is just a foreign concept. And we just think to ourselves, the Lord has used me to put on display his manifold wisdom. And then you're seeing the only reason I'm doing this is because of Jesus. There's nothing in me that says, oh, I just want to show love consistently to people. Because I'm a self-centered person. There's nothing in me that wants to do this. But Christ has done such a work in my life because of the gospel that instead of getting justice, I get love. Therefore, I'm displaying the love of Christ to you and I'm putting on display the manifold wisdom. And when people ask you, like, you have a perfect chance to tell them about the gospel. So, shows love consistently. And you could even use these little things. What would it be like if you were more humble or more gentle or more patient or more uh, forgiving, bearing with one another? Right there in, in, in chapter 2. What if you, as the book says in chapter 2, um, didn't gossip about people. That's the, that's the idea he uses. Uh, a way to show love. So the third one here is this. Um, bearing with one another love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now, the reason why I put it third and not first is just because it came third in the order of the verses. But it certainly could have been number one and kind of the foundation, this point three. But is this. That uh, a... Unifying church member will realize that the power for unity comes solely from God or from the Holy Spirit. The way that you're going to accomplish this in your life is because of God. You are never going to muster up enough sheer willpower to just be a unifying church member all the time. To show love consistently. To be in a a, a community that wants to strive for sanctification or even some of the other things that I'm going to say. The only way that this is going to be possible in your life is that you are pursuing the Holy Spirit uh, and that He is causing these things to happen in your life. So, because of the Holy Spirit is how we're going to have unity. So how much then, since you're now we're all aware of that, how much are we relying on Him for this? Ephesians 5.18, uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We know that this is a command, a, com- a passive command, which is even more bizarre. Be filled like, how am I supposed to be? It's like meat telling you, be filled with water. But you don't, I'm, not, an, I'm saying, not saying it actively. Go drink water. I'm not saying that. I'm saying be filled with water. So, like, be filled with the Spirit. This is a work of God. So we pray, God, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. How much are you depending on Him and pursuing after Him in your life? Be filled with the Spirit. The only way it's going to happen is by the Spirit. Now, as we get to 4, 5, and 6, we're going to get to some interesting thing here. You'll notice that there's, there's some language of the Trinity. You'll see that there's the Spirit in 4, Jesus in 5, Lord, God the Father in 6. Lots of ones, all kinds of ones work. And so even as he's doing that, in verse 4, he's talking about some of the work of the Spirit. As he's saying the Spirit, some of the work of Jesus and how that works out. And some of the work of the Father, you can see it. Let's look at it. Verse 4, there's one body and one Spirit. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Um... Just as you were called to one hope... That belongs to your call. So we see that the spirit is somehow active and involved in our calling. That's our salvific call. And then we get to Jesus. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So we know that our faith is in Christ. Uh, he's using lots of ones here to keep, keep us all unified. in one baptism. Uh, and then it says one God, the Father of all. So there's the, third pers- or the first person of the Trinity listed third. Um, God the Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So this, this is the sovereignty of God the Father in all things being disp- put on display for us there. And so we read all that and we say, what is it Paul's trying to help me see? I think that what's going on here is that Paul is um, in a really short summary kind of manner telling us the gospel. I think he's just telling us the gospel. He's telling us the work of the Spirit in our salvific call. He's telling us the the work of Christ and that we're supposed to put our faith in him and the sovereignty of God in all of our salvation. So since I think this is what it is, um, and I don't think I'm wrong here. um, I have a strong opinion that I'm correct here. Um, <laughs> is that maybe y'all didn't get that, but I was talking about strong opinions earlier. So uh, verses 4 through th- 6 is this. A unifying church member then will then communicate the gospel. Put it on our four Right now. All right, I'm going to have to go over here. All right, there we go. A unifying church member will communicate the gospel in as many biblical ways as possible. Now, that's absolutely essential that you understand I'm saying in biblical ways because we, we can't communicate the gospel Um, in unbiblical ways. We should never do that. But what I mean here is communicate the gospel in as many biblical ways as possible. I hardly ever do this, um, normally because of the reaction, but I'm going to try it anyway. Everybody say, turn the diamond. That's pretty good. Y'all do it first, "Mm first. That's why I never do it. Let's say it one more time. Turn the diamond. That's what I mean when I say this right here. Communicate the gospel in as many ways as possible. I've used this illustration probably ad nauseum, but it's the only way I can explain it. There's one diamond, that's the gospel. And you can look at it and see unbelievable beauty. But if you take that diamond and you turn it, you see a new beauty. Same diamond, same gospel, but a different way to see and understand that gospel. So this is what we mean. A unified church member will find as many possible ways to communicate the gospel in as many biblical ways as possible. You're still only communicating one thing. Jack and I, when we stand up here... We, we say the same sermon every Sunday. You, you probably caught on to that, right? Ephesia, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. That's the gospel. I say that every single week. I only have one sermon. I just try to say it 52 different ways every week. You know, in the context of marriage, how we can talk about marriage and husband's wife, up to the gospel. Or we're going to talk about membership. Talk about membership, be in the body, up to the gospel. That's all, I mean, it's the same sermon every time. Because it's the only word that saves it's the only word you need. Believer and unbeliever. It's the only word you need. And so, we need to as believers then, the best thing we can be as church members that really unifies us is that we become gospel fluent. We can speak gospelish, not just English or Spanish, but gospelish. We want to be able to speak fluently articulating the gospel. Just as much as as many ways as we can, we want to be really good at turning the diamond Oh, another beauty. The way that's going to happen most effectively is that you're spending time in this. The more you're in here, you'll see different avenues, different aspects of the gospel all over and over. And you'll see it and then you'll want to share that with some. I saw another beautiful reality of the gospel today. And this is how it was displayed to me. And then you speak. But a unifying church member does everything he can to be able to grow, or she, grow in articulating the gospel, communicating as much as possible. So here's, here's a way that maybe... This is a different way. Um, Christy and I went to this church in seminary, North Wake. um, And Christy read this to me on Facebook. I still have a hard time believing it. I still have a hard time believing it. So the children's minister at North Wake, um, her name's Stephanie. She wrote this on Facebook. Um, It was like midnight, and she was having stomach pains. And she's always kind of suffered from not medical, gastroenteritis or whatever it's called. And so, um, so she has this and she just figures it must be that. So she goes to the hospital at midnight and her stomach's all hurting and she gets in finally, because the ERs are always awesome, and you get there about 2 a.m., you finally get seen. And then they're saying, well, we're seeing something. It's not looking good. We're going to send you on. And so she goes on and about 2.30 or something like that, they're trying to figure out her stomach and they're like, um, we hear a heartbeat in there. Um, and so we need to send you over because you're going to have a baby today. Like, what? And so, no idea she was pregnant. So she goes over and it, the picture on the f- Facebook post is her sitting in a rocking chair with a baby. Can you imagine waking up at midnight and at 8 a.m. you have a baby and you had no idea you were pregnant? Like, that's what just happened to her in her life. And Christy tells me that. I'm like, there's no way! Come on! I- I've, I've seen pregnant women, right? And you know you're pregnant and everybody knows you're pregnant because you're, you're pregnant and you get me stuff. And like, how is, it that, how is it that she didn't know that she was pregnant? It blows my mind. How is this possible? She got no chance to milk it for all nine months. Um, she just had to, you know, got no sympathy whatsoever. All right, so I'm turning the diamond here. What are you saying, Fudd? Here, here's reality. Here's reality. Here's reality. Brand new life at, at, at a moment where Never expected. This is the gospel. The sovereignty of God calls you out of darkness, and as soon as He calls you, transfers you out of darkness into the kingdom of heart and to the kingdom of the Son He loves, and all of a sudden, brand-new, unexpected life just like that, out of nowhere. life in Christ. That's just another way of trying to explain the gospel. Now I use a story, but that's the, that's the idea of Colossians 1. I think it's maybe verse 13, 12, something like that. Transferred. Like immediate life, brand new, unexpected, out of nowhere. I can't believe I just have it. We need to be gospel fluent people that can, depending on the situation of the people that we're talking with, be able to explain the gospel. Some people are sinners and are active sinners and they need to be told of the justice of God. They need to hear of that aspect of the gospel. You are going to receive major justice from God and you don't want that. But some people have been sinned against. And they just feel dirty. And they need to hear about the cleansing of the gospel. That what Christ gives us, the expiation is the theological word. Is that all of your sins that have been done against you. And you just feel so defiled and dirty. That you are absolutely cleansed. Those are completely two different ideas. But same gospel. Same death, burial and resurrection of Jesus that accomplished it all. We need to be gospel fluent people. That know people's situations. And know how to explain those things to people. A unifying church member will seek to know... Be the kind of person that can turn the diamond. I want to turn the diamond as much as I possibly can because I'm not in this thing alone. Like there's, there's other people here that I can bless with the things that I'm learning from the Lord. All right. Verse 7 gets interesting, and it really certainly ties into that. But grace was given. This idea of grace, we're certainly talking about a gift. A gift of grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we see that Christ is the one that gives these gifts. And just to make sure you know I'm talking about spiritual gifts, he even says it at the very end of verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captains, and he gave gifts to men. This isn't Santa Claus, you know, coming down the chimney and handing us a bunch of Xboxes and stuff. This is him giving us spiritual gifts that bless the church. So, therefore, when we see that, we say, okay, Christ is giving gifts in the context of a unifying church member. What does that mean? It means this, number five. A unifying church member will exercise their spiritual gifts for the church's edification. Now, I know I'm overlapping in some of the things last week, but there's, you can't help it. It's right there in the text. Um, and, and notice what I didn't put. I didn't put for your individual edification because I just think that's obvious. Certainly, it's there. Absolutely, your gifts, as you use them, edify yourself and you grow and you love it. And I love it. I love that you love it. Like, it's a good thing. But, as we know, just a couple of places, 1 Corinthians twelve seven. to each was given a manifestation, gift of the Spirit, for the common good. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.12. So with yourselves, since you're eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the, not yourself, church. So we know that gifts are given to bless others, grow others. And so a unifying church member realizes this and wants to exercise their spiritual gifts then for the edification of the church. You have a multiplicity of gifts, from hospitality to just being really smart. Some of you are brilliant And you need to use that for teaching and and communicating those things to the church. You're able to see things and understand and explain it for people like me that need for you to. Or you have um, the the gift of service or administration or all kinds of things. Like you've got many, many gifts. And those things, when we put all those things together in one kind of big church blob, right? What happens is all those things are starting to flourish and we grow. Because I need someone that can do that. Or you need someone that can use your gift and... When all those things are happening, then we're growing. We're operating at the best possible way that we can. So please, 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 please use your gifts. There is no such thing as a small gift. Because Christ, as it says, is the one that gave it to you. And he didn't accidentally give you what he gave you. Or accidentally not give you enough. He gave you everything you need. And you're absolutely essential. So use your gifts. It's a little side note, because verse 8, verse 10 through 10 is a little strange, and I'll try to explain it to you. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captains to men and gave gifts to men, and saying, this is Paul kind of having his nerd moment, you know? Like, he goes to the side and he goes, let me explain this to you. It's like whenever somebody that really knows a lot about computers explains things about computers to you. Like, well, what you need is a gigabobba thing, and I got a little fuma-fum, and I could stick it in there, and then blank a lang and then the website works perfect. I'm like, yeah, you know I don't understand what you're saying. Come on. And this is kind of Paul having that little thing where when he ascended on high and led a host of captains and men, it's kind of strange language. He ascended and what does it mean that he also descended in the lower parts of the earth? Who descended? The one who ascended far above all heavens and that he might feel like, okay, Paul, what are you trying to say in regard to gifts? Basically what he's saying is this, um, to boil it all down for us, is Christ has secured the right To be the one that gives the gifts to everybody in the church because he's the one that descended here, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, was resurrected, and ascended into heaven. And that perfect life he lived and and died on the cross for us, he has the absolute right then to be the one that gives us the gifts. No one else. He secured the right as the gift giver. That's what Paul's saying in those kind of strange 8 through 10. I think it's strange. Maybe you don't. So, the whole idea is verse 7 though. We have been given gifts and we need to use those gifts for the edification of the body. Alright, verse 11 through 14, this is the last one. And this is maybe my favorite because as a pastor, it just makes me say, Whew, thank goodness. Um, I grew up in a church where uh, the idea was, um, and this is pretty predominant, I think, in, in North America from maybe 1950, 50, 60, even today, but certainly up into the 80s, 90s, which is, I got someone that needs to hear the gospel. I'm going to bring them to the pastor so the pastor can save them. And so the way we even build our buildings or have things is you come in here, you sit there just like this. I'm spectator. You're up on the stage. You're performer, spectator, performer. I'm certainly not a participant. You're the participant. You're doing all kinds of stuff. And we take this mentality and we export it out to the way we live our lives and do ministry, which is I do my thing. And Fudd, you're the one that has the full-time job since you, you, know, you work 40 hours on the church. You, you're sending the emails. You're writing the sermons. You're reading the books. And so when somebody needs to get saved, I'm just going to bring them to you or bring them to the Sunday service. And you do the work of ministry. And then I'll make sure I, if I run into them in my busy life, I'll bring them here. But otherwise, I got a lot of things going on. Because I'm the spectator and you're the performer. This just blows that whole dynamic up. It blows that, that whole concept of the way things up. Because that's not it at all. That's not it at all. What's true is is that we're actually the same, the exact same, um, in many, many, many ways. And we both have been given the exact same ministry. This is what it says. He gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. That's me. That's the leaders of the church. What's my job? To do all that stuff? No. Look what it says. To equip the saints. That's you. It's not the team in New Orleans. It's you, right? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So in this text... Who's the one doing the work of ministry? You. I'm equipping you to do all the things that... The, the church thinks that it's the pastor's job to do the work of ministry. And of course it is. Which just means I should be sitting there too. So I'm getting equipped just like you to go do the work of ministry. So my job is certainly to equip but also to do the work with you. But your job's the work of the ministry. So a uni- uh, 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 the, thir- the sixth one, where are we at? Number six. A unifying church member will be equipped... For the work of ministry. You are supposed to do the work of ministry. Look what it says. That equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. The way the body is built up. That means we grow in our faith as believers. And more people come to know Christ. Is that you are doing the work of ministry. Certainly I'm a part of it with you. But every one of us was given the great commission to make disciples. Every one of us. My job then as pastor, elder, is to equip you and lead all of us to do that work. So, a build up the body to Christ until we all attain unity of the faith. Until the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, womanhood too. Paul doesn't hate you, girls. He loves you. um, To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is pretty interesting right here. Watch this. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness. This means that when crazy doctrine happens uh, and the waves of those crazy doctrines are hitting you, Paul seems to think that you should be able to swim in that. Certainly as the pastor, I've been given the, 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 the charge to um, re- refute false doctrine and, and, and protect the flock, if you will. That's the language he uses. I don't, I don't think you're actual animal sheep. But that's the language that he uses. But in this particular verse, he says, so that you won't be tossed to and fro by the waves. He seems to think that you're supposed to swim. Unifying church member understands that. That we all are given the ministry of reconciliation, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5. So, we're all given this work of ministry. So, this is what um, I want to conclude with. Where in your life can you begin seeking to be a source of unity in the church? Where can you begin to be seeking a source of unity? Maybe you just need to grow in your display of love to the people in the church. Maybe you need to grow in your gospelishness. You need to know how to transmit. You need to know how to turn the diamond. Let's just say it that way. You need to exercise your gifts more. Maybe you need to realize that you have the, the, the ministry of reconciliation as well. Maybe you should stop trying to do sanctification by yourself and realize that the best way it's going to happen is in the context of community. Stop trying to be, you know, by yourself, the Lone Ranger. But instead, in a context of community. The way we do that most effectively here at Remedy is in community groups. Maybe you just need to join a community group. How can you individually think about how you can contribute to the holistic church and our unity? How can you be a source of unity in the church? This means that you need to actively seek unity. Not passively wait for it to just be dumped in your lap and say, oh, okay, I can do that. But instead, you're actively looking for ways to be a unifier. Love, theology, gospel. Let's do this life together like you're actively doing it. And you're going to realize pretty fast that there's no such thing as a perfect pastor or worship leader or community group leader or member. None of us are perfect. And when we realize this, one of the greatest contributions that we can make as the church body then is to continually strive for unification, unity, when that happens. Because the gospel is the central thing. In essentials, that's the gospel. There's unity. So for the sake of the gospel, let's be a unified church body that sees Jesus just do some amazing things in us, but also through us.